0: The book of Acts. That would be Acts 28. (laughs) We looked last week and we've been looking at the the call of salvation, um, which is really the call to follow Christ. The call through salvation is a clearer description than the call to salvation because there is no description of salvation that calls us to salvation, but rather through salvation. We're gonna look today, last week we looked at three individuals, Isaiah, um, Joshua the high priest, Isaiah the prophet, and um, also the apostle Peter in their conversion picture in the Bible, how they went through the steps that Paul continuously describes in his letters and in the book of Acts, that we repent, we turn from this world, we turn from our sins, we turn from who we were, what was important to us, and we turn to Christ. Um, and when we turn to Christ, we're turning from following the world to following Christ. Um, we're going to talk this morning about uh, the, there is a journey of salvation that begins with our spirit immediately being rescued or saved from condemnation, saved from hell saved from wrath, um, our soul has been put in motion by God with the expectation that we will submit to God's plan for our life so that he can make us like Christ, and then finally our bodies will be rescued from the decay that you see in me and in everyone else. As we are born, we begin the process of dying. We go from the land of the dying to the land of the living, whereas the world would Reverse that and say we go from the land of the living to the land of the dying. We're going to talk about what happens immediately when we do turn to Christ and follow him. One of the aspects, one of the things that happens is that we transfer kingdoms. So the title of the message today is Transferring Kingdoms. And I think if we understand what that is, um, what it should look like, then we become... um, followers of Christ so that the world can see a picture that they maybe couldn't describe, which is transferring kingdoms. Let's pray before we begin. Heavenly Father, if we we have a clearer call or a clearer picture, I should say, of what you've called us to, even before we choose to follow your Son, and certainly while we follow your Son, um, we, we just ask you this morning that you would make the call clearer to us through your word so we can understand what it is that we have stepped into, what we've been invited to, and what we are to present to this world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so we're going to be talking about the kingdom of God this morning. I was talking with my boss and his wife this week um, about Christ and I won't start you where we started because it had to do with Christmas decorations and they asked me about those and you probably know where I stand with those. Um, But it led to the the actual birth of Christ and it led to the Magi coming from a long distance away to be the first initiated, self-initiated because of what God had done in their life to come to Bethlehem And and we see in the story in Matthew when they come that they're coming to see a king. The story of the Bible, as my mom taught me early on, is a history. It's his story. And if we define that story further, the Bible is a story about a king and it's a story about a kingdom and how the king will one day, this starts in the book of Genesis very clearly. The coming king will reconcile the world and every person who is willing to be reconciled to him, and he will establish a physical, visible kingdom on this planet forever. So that aspect of the kingdom is promised, and it is future to us. Um, Us participating in the kingdom comes the moment that we choose to follow Christ. So if you were asked a question, when is the last time that you shared the kingdom of God with a lost person? That's what Jesus did with every lost person. In other words, they had a, a clear picture from Jesus and his testimony on earth that he was inviting them into his kingdom. Um, We're going to read verses in the book of Acts to see that that was also the Apostle Paul's method of witnessing to people. I think that when we, again, we... Dumb down is the only thing that's coming to my mind right now, so that sounds callous, but when we dumb down the gospel to the point where if we pray a prayer, we're saved from hell... That leaves a person with no understanding of what they're being invited to. We're invited to a kingdom. We're invited to leave the kingdom of this world and to join the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which in the Bible is called the kingdom of God. So as we read the end of the book of Acts, just the last couple of verses beginning in verse 30, this is, um, to put this in time, this would be about 62 A.D., um, Paul is imprisoned twice, and this is the first imprisonment. So um, if you think of Wednesday nights when we're studying the book of Ephesians, um, by the way, if I forget to say this in church build, there's our homework assignment, which I did not give you. Um, we are learning a lot about prayer right now. That is what God is really coming after me with. So I'm sharing that with you. Um, is to find two examples of things that we should pray for each other continuously. So Paul will tell us in Ephesians 6.18 to pray continuously in the Spirit for all the saints. Um, Pray that the outline, the format of prayer is given to us by Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, I thought about it this way this morning, and you don't think about it this way. Paul gave us the doctrines of prayer. Two doctrines. How prayer works. Paul is the one who teaches us that it goes from us, through Christ, to the Father, by the Holy Spirit. Paul teaches those three aspects of the doctrine of Prayer formation. So we see a lot of different examples in Mendota, Illinois, of how people pray and the process of prayer and what they think prayer is. But that's actually the doctrine of prayer. Paul teaches us the doctrine of content of prayer. So we don't think of it that way. Paul's epistles are all doctrine overflowing. So each chapter that the Apostle Paul writes, we find doctrines or things established by God as the only way to come to him as being described by the Apostle Paul. Um, So when we witness to people, if we witness like Paul, we're going to talk about his kingdom, Um, which is important for two reasons. Number one, it gives them an anticipation and Uh, a a thought process of a glorious conclusion. And we also ought to mention the kingdom because that's what, if we accept his call, we immediately step into. So the Apostle Paul wrote letters like um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon during this time that he is in prison in Acts chapter 28. And this is Paul's message. Whoever would come to him, the soldiers chained to him, a visitor, a challenger, an accuser. Um, he would, It says here, Luke writes, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. This is what he proclaimed. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. If we understand the call of God when we share salvation, what we call salvation, um, is an invitation to a kingdom. Our gospel message should be a kingdom message. Tony Evans has taught me, and, and he he. Comments on everything in every chapter in Scripture through the perspective of a kingdom. Guess who else did that? Jesus did that. Jesus' primary sermon content was always kingdom, 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 kingdom. In fact, let's turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter three. Before Jesus begins his ministry, his six-month older second cousin, the apostle, and are the, the excuse me the John the Baptist, comes on the scene before Jesus does with a message. The apostle Paul, like I said, we we could say, well, John the Baptist came before Jesus. Um, so that's why he was preaching the kingdom. The kingdom message is through the whole Bible to the point where the end, near the end of Paul's life, his message is the kingdom of God, which clearly says that the doctrine of the gospel is a kingdom message. We have lost that. We have separated ourselves from the king. We've separated ourselves from the Jews. We have separated ourselves from the king, in a sense, in that way. So in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul says we are citizens of heaven on earth. That should be part of the message that we're actually, 2 Corinthians 5.20, ambassadors for heaven on earth. Were ambassadors from a kingdom, and if you think in practical terms, an ambassador of the United States in a foreign country would would carry credentials with them that always say to every new person, I'm an ambassador from the kingdom of the United States of America. And they should have, I'm talking about people we witness to, should have that picture of us. There's nothing special about us. We're sinners just like you. We want you to know that God loves you. We want you to know that all he did. And we want you to know that he's inviting you to join his kingdom. Even on earth in Paul's day when he was beaten in Philippi. And, and the, this miraculous power of God looses all the chains. And the jailer joins the kingdom by being saved by believing in Jesus Christ. And the soldiers come to release Paul. And Paul says, you're just going to release me? I'm a Roman citizen. You beat me without asking who I was. And this troubled very much the soldiers. Because being a Roman citizen meant something on earth. And our kingdom representative should mean something on earth. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 3, Matthew writes, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This means two things. It means that the king is near. He's going to be among you. He's about here. But he's he's more certainly talking about the offer of a kingdom to the world. And what's important in the way John says it here is the way to enter the kingdom is repentance. So we don't enter the kingdom differently than we become a Christian. We don't enter the kingdom in a different way than we become born again. Becoming born again and becoming a Christian and becoming a follower of Christ is an entrance into the kingdom. And that kingdom door is opened through repentance. Jesus comes on the scene in Matthew chapter 4 and we look at verse 17 of Matthew chapter 4 and he says the exact same thing that John says. From that time on, that time on meaning he has just been baptized by John, he has just been in the wilderness and now his ministry begins. So at the outset of his ministry, the first words that he preaches, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So the first thing that comes out of his mouth is repent. And he wants us to know immediately that if we do repent, we enter his kingdom. We join him in his kingdom, his kingdom of God. Um, In Matthew 6, 33, um, it's difficult for us to understand growing up in the church because we don't hear the message of the kingdom in the church. But Matthew writes, as Jesus speaks, seek first his kingdom. In other words, the understanding of everything I do that is following Christ must have a view of the kingdom. If I pray, if I read my Bible, if I witness, if I am involved in my church, if I grow, if I'm sanctified... That is all in view of the kingdom. And we can guard ourselves against doing things in the name of Christianity that don't impact the kingdom. Because things that don't impact the kingdom are not of God. So repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all the things you're worried about, he will give you. He will take care of. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. We go from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry on earth to the very end of Jesus' ministry on earth. Acts chapter 1. We're familiar with the term salvation much more than we are the, the term kingdom or Kingdom of God in the Bible. And we're familiar with salvation for good reason. Salvation is in the New Testament 122 times. Kingdom. Is in the New Testament 162 times. When Jesus talks about salvation. In the Bible. He talks about the kingdom. When he offers salvation. Salvation when he preaches to the crowds, when he tells parables, he talks about the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like, Jesus would say over and over again. In Acts chapter one and verse three, we're seeing the last words of Jesus while he is on earth and in verse three, after his suffering, he presented himself to them, gave many convincing proofs that he was alive he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. When Jesus enters the church age, for 40 days after his resurrection, he comes together with his disciples and whoever wants to follow him, and that's probably about 120 people in this moment that Luke is describing, the followers of Christ in the early church, And his message is the kingdom. Luke doesn't, Luke is extensive. Luke gives details like no one else. And the only message he gives us about the content of what Jesus preached was the kingdom. He preached about the kingdom for 40 days and then he went back to heaven. Turn to John chapter 3. Be less commentary and more scripture today, which is probably always a good thing, but we're looking at this kingdom picture and we're learning, hopefully I'm learning, that I need to tell potential believers about the kingdom that they're being invited to. So Nicodemus comes secretly to Jesus at night. He acknowledges that Jesus is from God he wants to know more about him. Those are his words. Jesus looks past his words and he looks into his heart and he knows that Nicodemus has an inkling of the kingdom. He knows that Nicodemus is concerned that maybe he's not part of the kingdom, but rather that he's part of religion. So he looks into his heart and Nicodemus begins to ask questions that don't cut to the chase. So Jesus does cut to the chase. We pick it up in verse 3. After Nicodemus acknowledges how good of a teacher he is, and obviously he's from God, Jesus looks at Nicodemus' heart and finds the real question of Nicodemus, and he answers it. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. The message of Jesus to Nicodemus, the first offer of salvation is the kingdom. Nicodemus has heard this before, John the Baptist, over and over again. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus all throughout his message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Nicodemus comes to Jesus wondering, have I repented? Have I joined his kingdom? comes to Jesus and he says, you're a great teacher, obviously you're from God. Jesus says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is floored and he says in verse four, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. That's the water. But the spirit gives birth to the spirit. And remember, the birth of the spirit, that is what we are immediately and fully saved in forever in the will and the protection of Christ. Our spirit is saved The moment that we choose to follow Christ. And we're born of the spirit, which Jesus connects immediately to the kingdom. When you're born of the water, you have an opportunity to be in the kingdom. When you're born of the spirit, you are in the kingdom. No one can be in the kingdom unless they are born again. So verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives burnt to flesh. You have to be born first. And that is, the Bible clearly teaches, and it uses John the Baptist as an example, in the womb. David takes it back farther at conception. Verse 7. You should not be surprised at my, at my saying, you must be born again. In other words, you shouldn't, as Israel's teacher, be surprised at what I'm saying. You must be born again. So born again, we've seen that repentance brings us immediately into the kingdom. Being born again brings us immediately into the kingdom. And we begin to understand that we don't talk about the kingdom of God when we talk to a potential follower of Christ. But that's what Christ talks about all the time. It's helpful to the person who has a low expectation of what I'm doing, to know that they're joining the kingdom of God. And it's also convicting to the person who that's not what they're looking for, to be told what they're passing up. And Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, to some we are the smell of death, and to some we are the smell of life. And Paul's message, as we saw in Acts, which... Acts chapter 28, description of the Apostle Paul, is years after 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Paul is still preaching the kingdom of God as he is in the end of the book of Acts. The last thing that Luke writes, meaning that we can date really closely when the book of Acts was written, because Luke says for two whole years he was in prison there, which puts us pretty much exactly at 62 AD so when luke when paul finishes his ministry when he goes back to prison the book of acts had been written sometime before that let's turn to john or excuse me to luke chapter 9 it's beneficial to do a kingdom study it took a long time to narrow down verses when you realize there are 162 References to the kingdom in the New Testament. The book of Matthew, by the way, is kingdom, 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 kingdom. So John the Baptist comes, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus and all of his messages, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus sends out the 10, tell them repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He sends out the 72, tell them repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus sends out June, tell them repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. He tells you, he tells me, he tells all of that us that. In Luke chapter 9, as we read these verses in Luke 9, we think back to a picture in the Old Testament. But let's read Luke 9, we'll just pick it up in verse 57. Luke 9, 57. And I think I gave you the wrong reference. Maybe not. Let's read this. Verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. In other words, he's getting the message. I want to follow Christ. He's inviting me to follow Christ. The word follow continuously comes up when Jesus invites someone. We see a man... Inviting himself. In this passage, we'll see Jesus inviting others to follow him. Verse 58 Jesus replied, Foxes have, d- have dens and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. For three and a half years, Jesus was essentially homeless. Verse 59 He said to another man, Follow me. And as I said, when we talked about follow me, that's all we have to understand. The explanation leads to a kingdom. It leads to repentance. It does all of those things. If we follow Jesus, he describes that in the verses to come. Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim what? The kingdom of God. So to this, these men, one who says, I will follow you, one who is invited to follow him, Jesus says, to follow me is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he is inviting him to do that. And he is t- talking to this man about repentance. Wayne read a verse that, that fits right in the middle of these verses this morning. You cannot have two masters. Jesus is saying to this man, You either serve the world or you serve me. You follow the world or you follow me. You're in the kingdom of the world or you proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. These verses sound harsh for two reasons. I would say the number one reason is that we don't know what the offer is. The offer isn't to be saved. The offer is to join his kingdom and proclaim his kingdom. And these two men, like in many parables, are saying... I will serve you and I will follow you when it's convenient. I will use your name when I have space in my life to do it. And Jesus is saying, I'm asking you to leave the kingdom of the world and to follow the kingdom of Christ by following him. This doesn't mean that we ignore our relatives. It doesn't mean we don't go to funerals. But he can see in both of these men, he says to the last man, no one who plows and looks back is fit for the kingdom. Where do we see that picture in the Old Testament? Lot's wife. Invariably, pictures in the Bible that seem to have no relevance to us find a spiritual reality in the New Testament. So when we read about Noah in 2nd Peter chapter 2 it says that God knows how to rescue those who are his and he knows how to hold for punishment those deserving of punishment. And when he describes Noah, he says that he rescues Noah and seven others. So who is righteous in the picture of the flood? eight people. We have four men and their wives. Then he describes in 2 Peter 2, the rescuing at Sodom and Gomorrah. And the only person he mentions is Lot. Which leads me to believe that we won't meet his daughters. We won't meet his wife. We will meet Lot which is a picture of grace. So Lot's wife is a picture of someone who is plowing and I'm not sure if I'm ready to to fully go this direction. I want to hang on to what I have behind. And we see this picture here and Jesus says that that person is not fit for the service in the kingdom of God. Turn to Luke chapter 18 So many pictures of the kingdom. We're going to look at a few this morning. We're going to see terms in here like saved. We're going to see terms in here like um, eternal life. Those are terms that we are familiar of. And we're going to see that these, the, the, the kingdom of God here is the focus and we're going to see that all three of these things are the same thing. We are in Luke 18 beginning in verse 57. Oops, wait, that can't be 57. Luke 18:24. Luke 18:24. And we have just had Jesus have an encounter with the rich man. Um, and when he is told, when he understands the verse that Wayne read this morning, that you cannot serve two masters, it is possible that this man has been following Jesus for a long time. And he approaches Jesus, I think with the intentions that I want you to know that I'm here for your your offer. I'm I'm here, I'm I'm good, I'm ready. And Jesus cuts to his chase like he does with Nicodemus and he, he looks into his heart and he sees that I will never be more important to you than material things. And when he says that to the man, the man says, well, then I can't follow you. We pick it up in verse 24. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it For the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He was at the threshold. He was at the door. He had already experienced what Paul writes about. Faith comes from hearing and hearing from the words about Christ. He has heard the words about Christ. He is recognizing who the Messiah is. He says to the Messiah, I've checked all the boxes. Put me in your kingdom. And he says, okay, make me your Adonai. Enter my kingdom by leaving your riches and following me. And he says, I can't do that. And Jesus looks at him and he says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I've heard it said that wealth is a curse. And I believe it. Look what Jesus says about this. Verse 25. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God." So you may have an understanding, you may look for other scriptures to put alongside that, you may make a different case. What we do with the verse, first of all, is that Luke 18, 25 is true. That's one thing that we have to do when we're witnessing, when we're discipling, whatever we're doing. Um, Number one, the reason I'm doing this has relationship to this passage of scripture. Number two, we need to both go to that passage of Scripture and say, it's true. So when we go to this passage of Scripture, Jesus is literally, and I've studied this verse, and it says exactly in the Greek what it says in English, that a camel going through the eye of a needle is more likely to happen than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. If you want to enter the kingdom with your riches, if you want to follow Jesus and keep your ties to your material possessions, it is impossible because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 26, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? So we've seen the kingdom of God twice. Verse 24, verse 25, They're relating salvation to the kingdom. They're dead on. Who can be saved? Who can enter the kingdom of God? Jesus replied, What is impossible for man is possible for God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. We saw that last week. They dropped their nets. Their boats were full of fish. Their nets were full of fish. Whoever else was part of the cruise would have been astonished when when Peter, Andrew, James, and John walked away following Jesus, never to return. Verse 29, Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age And in the age to come. The most blessed, most fruitful, most fulfilled life on earth is to follow Christ now. And to follow him now means that we will be blessed many times over now. And we will be blessed in the age to come. When the physical kingdom is not only our home, but our visible, physical, recognizable home. Turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. This is about the same time that we see Paul in Acts chapter 28 in the last verses of that chapter. So this is one of the letters he is writing while Luke is describing him. So he's in this cell. Luke is probably there with him often or all the time at times. So he is able to record exactly what's going on in Paul's life. Paul is preaching the kingdom to the people in Colossae, which he, I don't believe, had been at this point. Don't know for sure if he was ever in Colossae, but he is clearly writing one of the most important epistles to this church. And his focus will, will bring us to the kingdom. He's going to use the doctrines of prayer as we head there in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. For this reason, and he's talked about the gospel coming to them and what, how they have responded to Epaphras as he brought the gospel to them. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. As we read these verses leading up to the kingdom verse, these are doctrines of prayer. This is content. I would call it the doctrine of the content of prayer. These are people who are Christians who Paul has never seen. This is why it's it's so practically relevant to us, because he's writing these prayers which are doctrines only given by the Apostle Paul. We don't see Peter in the Bible praying like this, or James, or John, or Judas, or John, or or the other Apostles, or um, even Luke. We see Paul, when he gives us continually, here's a prayer. He's not just saying, here's what was going on in my mind at this time. He's telling us how to pray, what we are to pray for. So as you look at two things... To bring Wednesday night that are content, things that we ought to pray for, don't just look in his prayers, by the way. When Paul teaches us anything, and he's teaching something that applies to me, and I'm either doing it or not doing it, if I'm not doing it, I'm, I'm to pray that this will be absorbed into my life, that it will become, instead of a message, it will become a direct application. So, all of that said, let's read part of this prayer. Verse 9, for this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. All of these churches are persecuted. All of these are going against the grain. All of these have difficult things that they're going through. In Colossae, there is the Illuminati of their day. There is these um, mystical um, imitations of the gospel. And there's, there's a constant challenge to follow Christ in truth. And they get this doctrinal letter from Paul. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will. He has to do that for me to pray His will. We talked about Wednesday night. Every prayer needs to be and it. I'm sure there's more than these three. But every time I pray, it needs to be in the character of God. It needs to be in the word of God, and it needs to be in the will of God. So, if you think of that from a restrictive standpoint, I've got to admit there's probably things I pray for that don't qualify. If you think of it from an opening up standpoint, which it really is, is that if I pray in the character of God, I pray in the word of God and I pray in the will of God, Jesus says multiple times that I will give you what you've asked for a hundred percent of the time. So let me give you a strange example. I have a lost friend and I want desperately for him to be saved. Jesus, save him doesn't qualify. Because the character of God is to not violate free will. Jesus, show him who you are. Convince him of his sin. Bring about opportunities of humility Put me in his path with the awesome offer of your kingdom. Cause your Holy Spirit to convict him at a greater level. Character of God. Word of God. Will of God. Answered. The mother of the rich man could have been praying that for her son. And for the, for the rich man, he is an example of all that God can do happened. And he said, no. If his mother would have prayed, save my son, he's stubborn, he's not going to listen to you, just zap him with your salvation. That's not his character. There will be no one in heaven who is in heaven because someone wanted them to be there. It could be safe to say that there is no one, there will be many people in heaven that are in there because someone wanted them enough to sacrifice themselves for their benefit to pray in the character and the word and the will of God. Paul goes on in the will of God, verse 10. Let's read verse nine again, for this reason, Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. That's a very, very clear directive. Romans 12, 2 says, test his will. Okay, God, you're saying do this. I'm going to test you. Paul says, go ahead, do it. He'll do his part. The knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that. This is what Paul's end prayer is for you. That you will live a life worthy of the Lord. This prayer applies to a lukewarm Christian in Mendota, Illinois. And it it applies to a prisoner in a prison cell that someone you love. Um, I just, again, the testimony of this person involved with Voice of the Martyrs that was a missionary and that was ultimately in prison. And his prayers before he was a missionary who was in prison was that God would release them, that God would keep them from pain, that God would not allow them to be tortured. And after he had been a prisoner, he prayed things like, I pray that they would live today a life worthy of the Lord. I pray that they will honor their Savior no matter what they face. That's what Paul is praying here in the doctrines of prayer. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power. We want that, right? How do we get that? Growing in the knowledge of God according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. This this would be a promise, biblical promise from Paul. If you're not praying to grow in the knowledge of God, you will never be patient. You will never persevere. The storm that hits you will defeat you. Jesus says it this way. If if you build a house and you're not attached to God this way, it will fall. Verse 12. And giving joyful thanks. That's something to ask God for. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 in giving thank, joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. So in this passage we see the kingdom of light being realized by those who follow him through the knowledge of God. Turn to First Thessalonians chapter 2, a heavily persecuted church. Paul was at, this, at Colossae, he wasn't there at all. At 1 Thessalonians, in the town of Thessalonica, he was there for a very short time. But with a very strong response. And in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, again, the, the, the kingdom of God, the invitation is going to be the same as it was in Colossians, to be worthy of God. To be live lives worthy of the call. Verse 11. For you know that we dealt with you as with each of you as a father deals with his own son. Encouraging, comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Who calls you into his kingdom and glory. We miss the the aspect of glory when we don't witness to people and, and explain a kingdom to them. That God has this kingdom, this glorious kingdom, this eternal kingdom, that is headed towards a place where we will be there forever and we will never be disappointed and we will never experience the hardships that are in this fallen world. The kingdom of his glory. Verse 13 And we also thank God continually. He's back into the doctrines of prayer. When you receive the word of God, which you have heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. That's a powerful verse, a good verse to mark in your Bible. That's what happens when a person is born again. They received the word of God that this book today, as we share the kingdom of God, was not humanly formed. It was not humanly orchestrated. The God who created the heavens and the earth has made sure that we have his truth in our hands. And as long as it's Jim McDowell's truth, salvation doesn't happen. Even if they're fully convinced that what I believe is the thing to believe, Paul is telling us here that when you hear the word of God... You need to hear God speaking. You need to know He is speaking. And He is inviting you into His kingdom, which brings glory to the Father through us. Turn to Revelation chapter 11. This is some of the content of a song that we have been singing recently. It delves into this passage, it delves into Revelation 4 and 5, and to um, Romans chapter 8, which are all talking about the renewal of all things and what God is going to do with man, what God is going to do with this earth. And he describes us here in a way that, that seems unusual to us. Verse chapter or Chapter 1, verse 4, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you, From him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before the throne. As a picture of Jesus. A picture of the Holy Spirit. In the present. Revelation 1. Revelation 1.4. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll be there in a second. Sorry about that. Revelation chapter 1. After his introduction, and his introduction, by the way, is to to read these words out loud, to take them seriously, and we will receive a double blessing. So, with that in mind, we read these verses out loud John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, verse 4 Grace and peace to you from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before the throne. And as I said, this is a picture of the Father on the throne. We see Jesus on a throne, and we see the seven spirits, which is a is a metaphoric picture of the Holy Spirit before the throne, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And this is what I was talking about with my boss and his wife. What the Magi had realized is that what Daniel had taught previous generations in Babylon, what Ezra had taught previous generations in Babylon from the Genesis chapter 37 and from um, Numbers chapter 24 and what Daniel had written in his lifetime in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 11 and Daniel 12 all pointing to a kingdom zeroed in on a king and the reason they brought gold, frankincense and myrrh is because they knew that this baby in this crib was the king over every king on earth. He is the king of kings over all kings, and his kingdom is a kingdom over all kingdoms. So when they give gold, that's a, that's a picture of the, the authority and that the crown of a king, Frankincense is, is an anointing and, and myrrh is an anointing. They're acknowledging in their gifts that this king is king over our country. This king is king over your country. They come to um, the King Herod who is under this king who has just been born but doesn't know it. The Pharisees don't know it. But the Magi do know it. And they say to Herod, we're looking for the king. The king of the Jews. And they recognize that That that's who this person is. Verse 5 again. And from Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests. Believers are a kingdom of priests. Priests represent man before God. The high priest is over all priests. We are priests in the sense that there are no longer sacrificial priests. The book of Hebrews makes that crystal clear, that day after day they offered sacrifices which can never take away sin, but now this priest has come as a sacrifice for all sin, and where these sins are forgiven, there's no longer... ever any sacrifice for sin. We're not sacrificial priests. But we are priests who represent people before God, which is in the definition of priest. Now turn to Revelation chapter 11. If we read if we read Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44 or Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13, this is the moment that the Jews are pointing to. As the trumpets are being sounded, the bowl judgments are coming, which means that there is days or hours left. Um, the the seventh angel with the seventh trumpet as he blows it, this is his message. Verse 15, Revelation eleven fifteen. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there was loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. That's prophesied beginning in the book of Genesis when Jacob specifically lays his hands on Judah and he says that the scepter will not depart from Judah until the one who has the right to it comes to take it and he will reign forever and ever. It's prophesied by David in the second Psalm. It's prophesied in many of the Psalms. Daniel writes extensively The Jews did not understand that Daniel was a prophet. They thought he was an author of kingdoms. He was. He wrote about all the kingdoms, current, future, and end. And he writes about this moment, like I said, in Daniel 2.44 and Daniel 7.13. The kingdom that is to come. What an awesome statement is this trumpet sounds and this angel has the pleasure of saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. The ruler over this world is the prince of the air. He is being defeated. He is his sentence is in place at the cross and it will be realized when, at the end of the tribulation, this angel is annunciating, announcing this kingdom that is coming. What will happen at the end of the tribulation is the world will become the king of the Messiah, or the kingdom of the Messiah. What an awesome thing that that will be! Um, again, in our conversation at work, we were talking about we have no idea even what this world looked like this world started as a ball of water it's an eternal earth that water was covered by land probably way more than it is today with the water within the earth knowing it was going to be released for a flood because of the disobedience of man but what the world looked like in Adam and Eve's day we probably wouldn't be able to describe, but we will see it. In closing, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. All prophecy kingdom, like all scripture, has a kingdom focus. All prophecy um, ultimately finds its way home in the Jews, and all prophecy is understood through a future kingdom that is coming. As Paul writes the book of Hebrews, we come to chapter 12, and I'm going to read several verses um, that are encouraging, that are inspiring, that are convicting and challenging. Um, Paul is trying to get us to understand what what that will be like when the kingdom of this world becomes a kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, when the world is taken over by Christ. He wants us to consider that, and he wants it to affect us. We're going to pick it up in verse 22. When we come to Christ, we come to a kingdom. We come to what Paul writes here, Mount Zion. The the throne of the king. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels and joyful assembly. This is the kingdom that we enter now. And the judge and the transferring of the kingdom ultimately will come, but he starts with, when we come to Christ, we come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn. Wait a minute. Is it Mount Zion or is it the church? Yes. Whose names are written in heaven. We're in that kingdom. Philippians 3:20, citizens of heaven. We've transferred kingdoms. You have come to God the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape, referring to the Jews, if they did not escape when they refused him Who warned them on earth, how much less will we live? If we turn away from Him who warns us from heaven, at that time His voice shook the earth. But now He has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Heavenly Father, as we we close with this picture of heaven, this picture of your Son and the picture of you, Father, and Paul tells us in this passage that we receive a kingdom and a Messiah and a king all at the same time. We are so grateful to be saved from hell by responding to the offer of your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for this plan. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your Son Thank you for giving us a picture, even in his birth as we consider Christmas, that his title in this manger is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the ruler of all the kingdoms of the earth, as Paul writes. Thank you for sending him to us, and thank you for your word that gives us a clear directive path. In Jesus' name, amen.